Please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from the book of Revelation, as we will be looking at chapter 8 and verses 6 to 13. Revelation chapter 8 and verses 6 to 13. Revelation chapter 8, verses 6 to 13. Please then, brothers and sisters, hear with me the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired Word. Now, when the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them, the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Now, we begin to look at the third cycle of visions in the book of Revelation. And like the seals, the trumpets we will see follow the same pattern. Uh, Under the seals, the first four seals that are, that is, uh, we've seen... Conquest. We've seen bloodshed. We've seen famine and death that all came upon the earth. Right? And under the first four trumpets, what we will see are destructive forces that likewise come upon the earth. And so just as the first four seals were grouped together, so too the first four trumpets. Just as there was an interlude between the sixth and the seventh seal, there likewise will be an interlude between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. Just as the seals were not localized judgments, but but universal, global, so too, we will see later on, are the trumpet judgments. And just as the seventh seal depicted end-time judgment, so too, the seventh trumpet blast depicts for us end-time judgment. And so there are many similarities between the seals and the judgments, or the trumpets, excuse me. But there are also many differences. Uh, There are differences, though, why? 
Well, because as we said on multiple occasions, what is happening in these cycle of visions is that we are seeing the, the same period of time, but we are seeing it from different angles and different perspectives. And so they are emphasizing different but important truths that the church needs to understand. Uh, pastor and theologian Derek Thomas points out one such difference between the, the seals and the trumpets. And he says this, The seals view the unfolding of the redemptive purposes of God from the viewpoint of the Lord's own people who are sealed. So the seals were from the viewpoint of God's people, those who were sealed. But he says this, the the trumpets view this same reality from the viewpoint of the unsealed. Those who are not the people of God. And so I want us to see that where the seals were given to us to emphasize right, God's protection of His people in the midst of tribulation and suffering, these trumpet judgments are given to us to emphasize something different. To emphasize the just judgments of God upon this wicked an adulterous world. And this is what's going to be the, the main focus of the cycle of visions that we are going to see in chapter 8, and chapter 9, and chapter 10, and chapter 11. And what we will see likewise is that, is that as we draw closer to the end of the book of Revelation, right, as we draw closer to the, to the great revealing of the return of Christ, what we're also going to see in these judgments is an intensification going on. So that in these trumpet judgments, the, the judgments will intensify a little bit. But likewise, when the bold judgments are poured out upon the earth, what we will see is there will be a, another intensification of the judgments leading up to the revelation of Christ's return. But ultimately, all of these judgments that are revealed to the church are, are given to show and to prove to the church right, God's victory over the world in His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Right, the trumpet judgments show to us that, that man's plotting, that, that man's scheming is destined to fail as the throne of our Lord rules over all. Right, that is what these judgments demonstrate to the godly. And so with this as our, as our setup, as this with our introduction, we want to then begin to look at these four trumpet judgments today. But before we do that, I thought it might be beneficial for us to first understand what the trumpet itself symbolized so that we might be able to better understand its use here in chapter 8. And so with that being said, our first point this morning will be this, the symbolism of the trumpet. The symbolism of the trumpet. Now, throughout both Old and New Testament, the, the trumpet is a, is a symbol for many things. Uh, the trumpet was used to, to call God's people to assemble together. We read this in Leviticus 23.24. The Lord says to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. Right? So a blast of trumpets, the people would assemble to gather and to worship the Lord that day. 
In Judges chapter 3, verse 27, the trumpet blast uh, was a call for Israel to assemble for battle. We see that. We read in Judges 3.27, When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country as he was their leader. And he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And so we see the, the trumpet blast was sounded so that they might gather and go down with their leader for battle. The trumpet, though, was also sounded to declare that judgment was coming. We see this in a text like Joel chapter 2 and verse 1. Here we read, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. And so the, the trumpet there was a, was a warning that, that judgment will one day come. That it is soon coming. That it is on the horizon. The trumpet likewise, as we all know, is blasted, is, is sounded at the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We read this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says this, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet. And so the, the trumpet will sound as Christ returns. But finally though, and especially wrapped up in the trumpets of the Old Testament, what we find often is that the trumpet is blasted to signify that God was going to wage war on behalf of His people against their enemies. And that is what the trumpet oftentimes signified. That God was going to wage war against the enemies of His people. And this is seen in the fall of Jericho. This is what we see in the fall of Jericho. A text which is in the background of our text this morning. And it is there as the trumpets are blown that it announced the impending victory that was going to come. For on the seventh trumpet blast, the walls of Jericho were going to crumble. And so I'd ask or invite you this morning to turn with me to, to Joshua chapter 6 as we can look at this together. Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, and we'll begin it at verse 2. And listen as we read too with the, the similarities of our, of our text in Revelation chapter 8 today. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets or ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. 
So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And so here, brothers and sisters, what is it that we see? We see some similarity, don't we? Here there are seven priests who blow seven trumpets. The priests are, 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 are God's authority here on earth. What do we see in our text in Revelation 8, uh, 6-13 to today? We see seven angels who we are told will blow seven trumpets. And angels likewise are given authority. Right, to execute God's will as their heavenly representatives. Right, in Joshua 6, the, the first six trumpets set up the seventh, which is decisive judgment. What are we going to see in, in Revelation chapter 8 with these trumpet judgments? That the, the sixth trumpet judgment set up the final trumpet judgment, the seventh, in which decisive judgment will befall all of the earth. And so the the trumpets need to be seen in our text. And going forward, as we read about the trumpets, with Jericho and the story here of Joshua 6 in the background. And just like with Jericho, we ought to view the the primary purpose of the the trumpets as being uh, primarily there to declare God's judgment against those who oppose His people. So that is the, the primary purpose of the trumpets. And they're blast and being blasted. It is to declare God's judgment upon those who oppose His people. Now, typically we have to ask, uh, where does God fight His battles with the armies of earth? Right, typically, God will fight them from heaven. Right? He fights them from heaven. And he, he often fought wars using what? Natural elements, doesn't He? Right, to, to cause calamity and to bring harm and to hinder the armies of this world. And we actually see that. We have an example of that in Joshua chapter, uh, chapter 10 in the battle with the five uh, Amorite kings. In Joshua chapter 10, verse 11, we read this. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiah, and they died. There were more who died because of hailstorms than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Right? More were, were killed because of what God had done than what the men had did with their swords. But perhaps nowhere more so do we see God fighting battles on behalf of His people from heaven than we do in the Exodus account or when we read about the, the, the ten plagues that God had sent upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And as we'll see in these four, uh, first four trumpet blasts, is that in many ways they will mirror uh, many of the plagues that were sent upon the Egyptians, which likewise, I think, further suggests or f- and further uh, supports our assertion that what God is doing here with the trumpet blast is He is judging uh, the people who oppose him and who are idolatrous, and he is fighting on their behalf uh, this holy war for them. Which, likewise, brothers and sisters, I think ought to cause us to, 
to, to be excited, to be overjoyed, to be overcome with gladness, to see the, the wonderful purpose that God has behind the trumpet judgments, as they likewise serve to declare the victory of His church. Because if, if God is on our side, if God is fighting this holy war from heaven, then brothers and sisters, we cannot lose. We cannot lose the war. We cannot lose the battle. But whereas the, the seals comforted the saints, the trumpets do much something much different. The, the trumpets are meant to, to terrify those who do not belong to the Lord. Right? To terrify them as they see these natural disasters which we speak of occur. All will come to know that it is ultimately God who is standing behind them all. It is God who is governing all calamity that transpires here on earth. And they serve as, as judgments upon the wicked. And they, they come upon the wicked because of their sin. And this understanding is relayed to us all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17. For it's there the Lord says to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Nowadays, we hear people speak about how how unforgiving Mother Nature is, don't we? But what we need to see, brothers and sisters, is that all calamity that occurs in nature ultimately is to be ascribed to the Lord. Any calamity that comes comes because it is God who sent it and God will not give the credit for His work to anyone else. Which is why He says in Amos chapter 3, verse 6, Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? And so in the judgments, as we read about the judgments, as we see the judgments throughout the world going on, we also ought to reflect upon the absolute sovereignty of God over all things. It ought to cause us to to think about likewise the omnipotence of God and to stand awe-inspired by His power and His might as He can control all things. Which likewise ought to cause us to express praise seeing that although God afflicts this world on a, on a worldwide scale, that He does it not only in defense of His own glorious name, but He also does it in defense of the saints. He does it also as a response to the prayers of the saints. Which is why we said last week that these trumpets were first introduced back in verse 2. But what I also want us to see is that This is only part of the judgments that the wicked experience. These first four trumpet judgments describe to us uh, physical calamities that that will transpire. But what we will see later on in the coming weeks is that not only are the judgments physical in nature, but they are also spiritual in nature as well. And so we need to see that the trumpet judgments secondarily are a warning to the ungodly. It warns them of what will happen if they remain in their sin. And it also warns them that that greater calamity and greater judgment will come. And as that judgment comes upon this earth, what I think it will reveal to us all, likewise, is is the depths of the bitterness 
that runs in the veins of men and women against God and against His Son, Jesus Christ. As the judgments go forth into the world, we're going to see the depravity of man in their response to those judgments. And we're going to see the hardness of men's heart as they refuse to repent and to believe, although He warns them time and time again through these calamities in nature. And so, brothers and sisters, I hope we see what these trumpet judgments then are, what the, what the trumpets symbolize for us. Right? God's judgment that God is conducting this holy war on behalf of the saints against those who oppose God's people. And so with that, let us turn to our, our second point then this morning as we look at these judgments in particular. And so our second point will be the first four trumpet judgments revealed. The first four trumpet judgments revealed. Please look with me then at verse 7 of chapter 8. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and a third, in, in all green grass was burned up. Now I'd ask if you'd like to, you can flip with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. Exodus chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. It is there that we read this. Under the seventh plague. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. So we see great similarity between that seventh plague and between this first trumpet blast, don't we? Now, one key though for us to understand uh, what is being described for us in these trumpet judgments uh, is to remember. Right? We need to constantly be in remembrance of Revelation 1.1. All the way back there where we learn from John that we are to interpret these as symbols, right? They are, these are symbols or pictures that are communicating to us some truth, right? So we are not to, to read here in, in Revelation 8-7 uh, that, that what is meant here is a literal fire that is going to burn up parts of the earth and parts of the trees and, and all of the grass, right? But rather we are to understand it figuratively. And brothers and sisters, we do that elsewhere. We've done that elsewhere already in the book of Revelation. If you remember in Revelation chapter 4, verse 5, we are told that there are seven torches of fire burning before the throne. But then it tells us that what those symbolize are the seven spirits of God. So that there are not seven literal torches with literal fire burning before the throne of our Lord. And so, if 
There is no fire before the throne being burned. And if God executes His judgments from heaven by throwing down the fire from the throne, then I think it's best to interpret if the fire before the throne is figurative, then the fire that He throws down upon the earth is figurative as well. And so when we look though then at fire and what it may represent, I think what we will find is that, is that fire here most probably refers to famine. That fire here most probably refers to famine. You say, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> you know, where do you get famine from fire? Well, if you'd like to, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 5 because this is where we would get this understanding from or one of the places we would get this understanding from. In Ezekiel chapter 5, what we see is Israel being judged by thirds. And so Ezekiel 5 is, is sitting here being alluded to in our text today. Israel is judged by thirds. Look at verse 2 with me then, please. Ezekiel 5, 2. A third part you shall burn in the fire in the midst of the city when the days of the siege are completed. And a third part you shall take and strike with the sword all around the city. And a third part you shall scatter to the wind. And I will unsheath the sword after them. And so we see here Israel being judged in thirds by fire, by the sword, and by being scattered. Now look down with me at verse 12 of chapter 5. Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 12. A third part of you shall die of pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. A third part shall fall by the sword around you. And a third part I will scatter to all the winds and will unsheath the sword after them. What do we see there in verse 12? That fire is omitted and instead it is interpreted as pestilence and famine. Everything else remains the same. Look also with me in the book of Revelation, chapter 18. Chapter 18 and verse 8. Here we'll see again Famine and fire very closely associated with one another. Revelation chapter 18 and verse 8. Here we read, For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And so, brothers and sisters, what I believe the first judgment to be or to likely refer to is famine that is going to afflict portions of the earth as a judgment against them because of their sin. And blood is included in here to highlight the fact that the loss of life may occur because of it. That is what we see under the the first trumpet judgment. Look with me then at the second trumpet judgment at verse uh, 8 and 9. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. 
Now, we've seen as the, as the first trumpet blast uh, dealt with land on earth, the dry land, the second and even the third deals with the waters. Right? The, the second uh, trumpet deals with the sea and the third trumpet with rivers and springs. And so what do we see here? We, we likewise see a connection to the first plague that the Egyptians were dealt, which was what? Right? The Lord tells Moses, lift up your staff, strike the Nile, and it will be turned to blood. And all the fish in the Nile will die so that no one will be able to drink the water. Now, if we interpret the fire of verses 8 and 9 in the same manner that we just did, to be consistent, we should, shouldn't we? Then what we also will see is that this second trumpet judgment, likewise, has to do with famine. It has to do with famine. But the famine that I believe it has to do with is, is not the same as in verse 7, which had to do with the, the trees and the dry land and, and grass that were being burned up. Here, this famine has to do with hurting the commerce of the sea. Right? This has to do with, with your fish products. It has to do with, with the ships who, who ride upon the sea and who collect these animals. They no longer are able to do them because it is covered in blood. Because the, the animals are dead. And so we see that this is, this is a famine by hurting the commerce of the sea. That which was once rich is now severely depleted and severely hurt by the second trumpet blast. Now the mountains that we read about here, this great mountain burning with fire that was thrown into the sea, we need to understand that mountains are oftentimes associated with kingdoms. Right? Mountains are associated with kingdoms. And so this, this symbol of the burning mountain being thrown into the sea, we need to see as God judging evil kingdom. Right? Judging evil kingdoms through throwing the great mountain into the sea and destroying one-third of the commerce of the sea. And so it's God's judgment upon evil and wicked kingdoms. And this is supported by a reading in Revelation chapter 18. So I'd ask that you please turn with me there. Revelation chapter 18 and verses 20 and 21. Revelation 18 verses 20 and 21. Here we read this. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. What do we see there? An angel takes up a stone, throws it into the sea, and immediately interprets that as Babylon's judgment. And so we see there how mountains are oftentimes associated with, with evil kingdoms. Even in Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 25, the same truth comes out to us. Here, the Lord is speaking against Babylon. and This is what He says, Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain. I will make you, this is Babylon, a burnt mountain. 
So we see how mountains are associated with evil kingdoms. And so we need to see that this second trumpet judgment has to do with God judging an evil kingdom. Now, look with me at verses 10 and 11 as we look at the third trumpet blast. Here we read in verses 10 and 11. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Now, brothers and sisters, what we need to understand back under that first plague in Egypt is we are told there that not only was the Nile affected by blood, but so too we are told all rivers, all canals, all uh, pools of water and ponds. And so here what we see under the, the third trumpet blast is, is what is being highlighted for us is the undrinkableness of the water because of this judgment. But instead of this great mountain that is coming down in, in blazing fire entering the sea, what do we see instead? What we see is this blazing like a torch uh, of fire, a star that has now fallen and landed into these rivers and into these canals, right, coming down. And so what do we see here with this, with this fiery uh, star that is coming down to earth? If we interpret it likewise, we have interpreted fire under the first trumpet judgment and under the second trumpet judgment. We will see, likewise here, continues the theme of famine. Right? Continues the theme of famine. Now the star we are told is called Wormwood. Now, what is wormwood? Wormwood is a bitter herb. A bitter herb that would cause you not to be able to drink the water. And this is a judgment against these people. In Jeremiah chapter 8, speaking of a a judgment that was going to come upon idolatrous Israel, we read this, When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves have withered. And what I gave them has passed away from them. Why do we sit still? Gather together. Let us go into the fortified cities. For the Lord our God has doomed us to perish and has given us poisoned water to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. Now the the poisoned water here, I think, is best understood as describing to us the bitterness of judgment that these people will experience because of their sin. So that is, that is what is being described for us. The, the bitterness of judgment that these people will experience because of their sin. Right? Because we need to understand here in, in Jeremiah, they are, they are being judged, the Israelites are being judged because Israel's religious leaders have polluted the nation with Baal worship. They've polluted the nation with Baal worship. And since the religious leaders figuratively polluted Israel, God is pictured as polluting the waters, which likewise, I think, describes the the, the suffering and the, the judgment that they are going to be made to endure because of idolatry as well. And so because of that idolatry, they are going to be judged and they are going to be made to taste the bitterness of their sin. 
I think this likewise is supported by the use of wormwood elsewhere in Scripture. Wormwood has a figurative use throughout the, the Scriptures. Uh, one place is found in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Here we read this, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Right? And so, wormwood is oftentimes used in a, in a figurative sense. And so I think we, we likewise, as Revelation is a divine commentary upon the Old Testament, ought to interpret it in the same way that we see it in the Old Testament. And so, like Israel of the Old Testament, right, the, the kingdom of this world, which influences the people of this world to engage in idolatry, that idolatry being speak your truth, live your truth, right, make yourself happy, which ultimately says what? Right? Worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. And for that, what we read here is that God is going to judge those who dwell upon the earth and the consequences of that sin, of God's judgment, is depicted as God affecting the waters. And then lastly, we see the fourth trumpet judgment. Look with me at verse 12, please. Here in verse 12, we read this. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. And so as the the first trumpet affected the earth, and the second and third affected the seas and the rivers and the ponds and the pools of water, the fourth trumpet affects the sun and the moon and the stars. And as we read that, doesn't that bear some resemblance or some similarity to the, to the sixth seal where the, the sun is turned black, where the moon is turned red and where all the stars fall to the earth? But what does this then fourth trumpet demonstrate to us? That this precedes the sixth seal. For this is only a partial, a, a partial effect that is given. Only a third of each was struck. And so this comes before the sixth seal that we see. What we also though see is that not only is this a, a partial judgment, but this likewise bears much resemblance to the ninth plague in Exodus chapter 10 verse 21. Because in the ninth plague, what happens? Right? God causes darkness to, to fall upon the land of Egypt for three days because of their idolatry and because of their oppression of God's people. And so too then, we need to see this fourth judgment which may or may not describe some sort of, of darkness. But I think more importantly, what it does describe to us and what we need to take away from it is that it describes events that will occur that will make idolatrous people reminded that they are living apart from God in the, their darkness and in their sin, which is symbolized by the darkness of these luminaries. Why? Because the luminaries give off light. What happens? A third of them becomes darkened. Right? Which is to demonstrate to the world that right now you live in, in partial darkness, but a time comes when there will be complete and total darkness where you will die in the darkness of your sin. And I think that 
the language there, even uh, of the of darkness in that way, is supported in Scripture. We can we can think back to the Gospel of John, where we're told Jesus comes into uh, comes amongst his people, but they receive him not. Why? Because they love darkness rather than light. And so we need to see, I think, that this, this darkness is describing a partial darkening which is depicted for us in a one-third darkening of the sun and the moon and the stars which really then serves as a warning right, of, of the greater judgment that is to come. That things will only get worse. That the severity of these judgments will only get harder and harder until the seventh trumpet blast in which no one will be able to stand under. This then leads us, brothers and sisters, to our third and our final point this morning, which I have titled, The the Woes Still to Come. The Woes Still to Come. Look with me at verse 13, please. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice, as it flew directly overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now in the Old Testament, when there was coming judgment, oftentimes included would be the symbol of an eagle. We see this in a text like Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 13. Behold, He comes up like clouds, His chariots like the whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. And so this is what we see being pictured then here as as John, interestingly enough, doesn't see the eagle, but he hears the eagle. But he hears the eagle say, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. Why? For the further trumpet blasts that are going to be blown. Right? For trumpet five and trumpet six and trumpet seven. For right now, they only experience a, a partial judgment. But these will lead up, brothers and sisters, to that seventh trumpet blast, which will be a, a full and complete Judgment upon all those who dwell upon the earth. And so, woe is declared to the earth as they are only going to experience increased punishment and increased severity until the end when they will be utterly and completely destroyed. This is why this woe is declared to all who dwell on the earth. He says, all who dwell on the earth will suffer these judgments. Now, there are debates over the word here for earth. There are debates over what, what it means by all who dwell on the earth. What is, what is John saying here? Is he saying, as I've said, that this is, this is universal language? That he's talking about the, the whole globe, the whole inhabited globe. Or is he talking about something maybe more particular? Uh, just a particular land? Or a particular people? Now, there are some who would like us to believe that that this is describing something local. That this is describing uh, events that actually are fulfilled in the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And one reason that they believe this is because oftentimes they'll say, well, the the Greek word for earth, which is geis, 
means land. And so it's talking about a particular land, the land of Jerusalem or the, or the land of, of Israel. But what I want us to see here today is that it's just simply not the case. In a highly respected Greek lexicon of Bauer, Art, and Gingrich, what they give to us are not one word that Gase means or can mean, but rather they give us five. They provide for us five different ways that word Gase can be translated. Soil, ground, land. In extra-biblical Christian literature, it can also mean the bottom of the sea. And then lastly, earth. And when we mean earth, it's the inhabited globe. And as they give us these, these glosses of meanings, they provide for us passages of Scripture which the, the Word is used in that way. And so, interestingly enough, in Revelation chapter 14, verse 3, the word gase is used for earth or land, but they point that that, that, that usage or that reference harkens back to the inhabited globe. And so look with me at Revelation 14.3 real quick. Revelation 14.3. Here we read this. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So they, they, they say that gase there, the word that could mean earth or land, is to be taken as, as the inhabited globe in Revelation 14.3. Likewise, what I want us to see is this. That same word gase is used in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and there is no ambiguity of what, the, of what gase means there. In 2 Peter 3.7, this is what we read. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now existed are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The whole heavens, all the earth. That's talking about the final judgment. Gase, that Greek word that is only said to mean land, is rightly translated earth there because it's talking about the whole inhabited globe. And so what I want us to see is, as, a, as I oftentimes harp upon, all those who dwell on earth means all those who dwell on earth. All those who dwell upon the inhabited globe. And you ask, well, how can we differentiate between land or, or, or earth or soil or ground? Context. right? Context is king. That's how you know which, which gloss you are to use as, as you are translating. This is why the authors translated it earth and not land. Because they also realize that what John has done there, that, that John, what John is doing, that John is constantly universalizing right, the judgment. Twenty-five times in the Old Testament, there is a phrase that is used, all the tribes of Israel. Right? John could have easily have used that common phrase that everyone would have understood if he meant to talk about a particular land or a particular people who are being judged. But John purposely changes it and universalizes it so that we might know it's all the earth 
that is going to experience these woes. Right now, the whole earth is affected in part, but one day when Christ comes and returns, the whole earth will be impacted fully, totally, and completely. But also I want us to see this, that the plagues which mirror aspects of our text today were likewise given for the purpose primarily to judge and not to bring anyone to repentance. Right? The plagues that we see in Egypt primarily were given to judge those people and not to bring them to repentance. They were given to judge and not to warn. Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. The Lord says to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. Right? It was in the plagues, in God's judgments, that He determined that it was there that He was going to manifest His incomparable greatness and glory through judging those people. And brothers and sisters, what I want us to see is the, the same thing transpires today. As calamities strike this earth, God is using them to manifest His greatness and His glory before us all. And so as the world tries to control nature and manipulate nature, we ought to see what a, what a folly that venture is. For all that the Lord does in the heavens and the earth, He will do. Right? He does all that He pleases. No one will be able to stop Him. And so instead, what, the, what this God, this world ought to do when they see the judgments come around them, is they ought to read the message that is being declared to them through nature. Because this upheaval of nature, and through this upheaval of nature, God is declaring a message to the world, which is this, repent and believe in My Son, Jesus Christ, for this is the only way you will escape the greater wrath to come. Right, right now, the, the wrath you endure, sinner, is partial. But when Christ returns, you will experience complete and total wrath. Right? He warns through disaster. Do not trust in yourself, sinner. Right? Do not trust in your money or in your riches. For nothing that you have or nothing that you do can thwart God's plan for the sinner who continues to reject His Son and to oppress His church. But also for the believer... I want us to see that God is looking out for you even in these judgments. We said these, these trumpet judgments are from the vantage point of the ungodly. They are from the vantage point of those who are not sealed. Right? This is not for the sealed. These judgments are for the ungodly, for the unsealed. In Exodus 9, we read earlier about the seventh plague of hail and fire. And I read for you there verses 24 and 25. But what I saved for us is verse 26. Because I want us to see this. That in Exodus 9:26, this is what the Lord says. After He declares that this hail and fire are going to come down upon Egypt. Only in the land of Goshen, where my people Israel are, there shall be no hail. Think about the tenth plague. Think about the tenth plague. What is the tenth plague? The death of the firstborn? And what is it that God says 
to the Israelites in the midst of that. Mark your doorpost with blood so that the destroyer when He comes will not take your firstborn. He is saying the same thing to the sealed. Right? He is saying the same thing, brothers and sisters, to you and I. That although calamity comes upon the world with these judgments for sin, that the destroyer will not harm you, that the destroyer will pass over you, for you, brother and sister, you, Christian, have been marked by the blood of Jesus Christ. Although this world influences sinners to engage in idolatry, you will never be lost to the world. For God protects you. He watches over you. And He does so by His Spirit who He sealed you with for that great day of redemption. And so, brothers and sisters, let us see Pharaoh then as an example of what happens to the ungodly when they refuse to repent and to bow the knee. This will occur to all sinners who continually reject the Son, who do not heed God's warning and do not listen to the voice of the Savior. Right now and up until Christ's coming, these judgments are going to continue to come in part. But the day is coming when that will not be the case. And so today is the day, if you hear the Gospel, to repent and to believe. For the believer though, I want us to to see this as we start to draw to a close. That when you see judgments in the world, see them for what they are. See them for what they are. Which is God telling you in those judgments that a great day of deliverance is yet to come. A great day of deliverance is yet to come. Because just as He sent those plagues upon the Israel, or against, uh, on, upon the Egyptians, excuse me, and upon Pharaoh, in order to ultimately free them to worship Him, that is what our Lord likewise is doing for His people. He is sending these judgments Sending these judgments, which are our tokens to us, our pledges to us, that He is going to return to judge the world completely. And at that time, He will grant to us deliverance. And just as Israel was delivered and allowed to go into the wilderness to worship the Lord, when we are delivered, we will go into the heavenly sanctuary to worship our Lord forever. Because of that atoning work of Christ already being delivered from sin and from death. And so, brothers and sisters, remember that when we see judgments. Remember that when we see calamity in the world. Don't grow anxious. Don't grow scared. Don't grow fearful. Don't grow doubtful. Do not be afraid. Know what they serve to show us. That just as the seventh trumpet blasted and the walls of Jericho fell, so too when the seventh trumpet blasts, this evil, wicked world and its system will crumble as well. And so, brothers and sisters, take courage in the Lord. Right? Take courage knowing that He is fighting the holy war. And knowing that He is fighting the holy war for you, I implore you to pick up arms. To take up arms. To fight alongside your Lord and Savior. Right? To fight the good fight of faith. Right? To fight against all manner and forms of ungodliness and unrighteousness as we await the final victory that is to come to God's people on our great day of redemption. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word.
We are so humbled by the grace and the mercy that you show to us. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to show your grace and your mercy and your covenant faithfulness to us. That you would continue, Lord, to assure us of our salvation in Christ. Lord, that you would help us to uh, see and, and learn from the judgments that fall upon this earth all that you would like us to see. But ultimately, Lord, may it cause us to, to think upon you and to think about upon uh, our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, and to look upon you with, uh, with reverence, being awestruck at your greatness and your glory. And so, Father, we come before you this day asking all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.